are our reason, Lord. Father, we just don't have one, Lord. We have multitude. We have many. We have thousands. We have 10,000 reasons to say that you are wonderful, marvelous, faithful and true, our God. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, musicians. And this may be the only place in Perth you'll see snow this morning. So we put that on especially for you. So uh, we do appreciate you coming and gathering to God on a a warmer day. And uh, this starts our series on the shack. I'm not going to speak for a long time today. Um, I appreciate we have children in the room. Uh, So rather than be long, I'm going to try for some impact. So we're going to pray. Father, it's our prayer today that you would speak. Lord, speak to every one of us here today. Lord, let it be personal, let it be direct, and let it be of you. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So thank you to everyone who's making it happen. There's a long list from uh, Sam and Dave and uh, others. Uh, Wade built Christmas trees all week. <laughs> so I appreciate all that. So we're starting this series based a little bit around a book known as Shack. Whether you've read the book or not uh, is not really that important because we're using it as a springboard to ask some serious questions that the book itself addresses. And today, we're asking one of the big ones. Where were you, God? Where were you when the bad thing happened? Where is God when there is senseless and undeserved suffering? Uh, yesterday, I visited a prisoner outside of, uh, in a prison farm outside of Mount Barker. Adam is a hardened serial killer, armed robbery, violence, bikey. That's his background. And he pointed out to me that within the place we're staying right now, there are a lot of sex offenders. And as far as he was concerned, and some of his mates, they would be very interested to see them all suffer and to suffer slowly and painfully. It's interesting, isn't it? Even criminals had this understanding that there is something which is evil. There is still something which is a bridge too far, that even hardened criminals agree that there is something that should be punished. You see, we don't mind Hitler being punished. Amen? We don't mind Hitler suffering, but we do mind it when the innocent suffer. And we're particularly horrified at the thought when a sweet little innocent child goes through suffering, and so we should. Epicurus, a Greek philosopher, observed the problem 2,300 years ago. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Well, then he's not all-powerful. If he is able but not willing, then God is bad. And if he is both, if he is both able and willing then where does come evil? And if he's neither able nor willing, then why call him God? It is the big question, where is God when the really bad stuff happens? And everyone who has ever felt a great sadness or knows someone who's been through that can relate to the story around the shack. It's a story about loss with a capital L. This is a novel about the great sadness and about the terrible burden of guilt that often accompanies and follows a devastating loss. 
there are some things that mark us for life. Maybe the death of a loved one. Maybe financial ruin. Maybe divorce or abandonment. Whatever the cause of great sadness is a part of the human predicament. And people will often ask at these times, where were you, God? When pressed down by the great sadness, God, where were you? Where was God when my husband or wife died? Where was God when my brother was killed in that car accident, leaving behind his young family? Where was God when a storm destroyed my town, including my home? Where was God when the terrorists attacked and killed so many people? Where was God when my child died of cancer? So whether you are Mac, or short for Mackenzie, the main character of the novel, or whether you are the ancient Job of the Bible, if you're human, it doesn't really matter. Because one day we will all, if we've not already been there, have to face something like the shack which is a picture, it's a metaphor for the place where our belief in a good God and that life makes sense collides head on with the evil and the sadness of a world. People get disappointed with God. They're offended by his inaction. They're angry with his neglect. God was missing when we needed him the most. The shack asked the question, where is God when there is senseless and undeserved suffering. And the shack addresses the problem of evil head on, doesn't avoid it, and picks an extreme example that forces the point. This is not a grey disamina. This is not an accident. This is not an oopsie. This is dark, ugly, black evil. This world, according to the shack and the Bible, is shattered and broken. The world is actually not such a nice place after all. It's a world where evildoers like the little lady killer who kidnapped Missy, stalked and raped and murdered children. It's a world of selfishness, of sin, of pain and of disappointment. For some, life is a sick joke. But did God plan it to be this way? Does God cause it to be this way? Well, most emphatically, the answer is no. Absolutely no. Evil, the God of the shack tells Mac, is here because of the will to power, the will to independence in human beings. God's response to Mac's accusation that God did nothing to stop Mrs. Fate is thoroughly biblical and true to the experience. In Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that we humans want to go our own way. And God lets us. But unfortunately, our own way leads to death and destruction. The shack makes it clear that we want independence from God, which amounts to making ourselves God. As the Americans have pushed God out of their public schools, so too the drugs and the prostitution and the violence has penetrated into the schools. Evil is not a result of God's plan or action, but is a result of our rebellion. It is a little bit like uh, we were built to actually let God be the driver in the bus of life. 
We were meant to be in the back seat and the sides, enjoying the journey where God wanted to take us. But in our rebellion, God said, you can drive. We demanded the privilege to drive. And then we start to complain that there's congestion on the roads and that uh, there's death on the roads as a result of us taking the wheel of life. In his book, Night, Ellie Weissel, a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps during World War II, describes the stories where the witness, where the prisoners were made to watch the execution of a young boy in the camp. He was so light that the weight of his body did not break his neck, so he died of a slow strangulation. While the boy is suffering there, a prisoner cries out in despair from the ranks, Where is God? Another prisoner responds right there on the gallows. See, the God of the Bible is actually moved by our plight. The God of the Bible is actually one who comes and joins us in our suffering and suffers with us in order to lift us up on high in ways that we cannot imagine. We follow the Christians a suffering God. We actually serve the Christian God who is tortured and crucified. No one can actually say, God, you do not know what it's like to suffer a cruel, innocent, tortured existence that you did not deserve. You were not. You don't know what it's like to be caught up by the lady, by the little lady killer, and yet all God has to do is open up His hands and say, "Yes, I do know what it's like." So, where is God when there's senseless and undeserved suffering? The Bible teaches us that God is with us, no matter what we face. God will never leave us nor forsake us. And even when we do not sense his presence in the darkest hour, God is still right there with us. His name is Emmanuel. We do not suffer alone. He is not some impartial, unmovable rock. He is personal and in our space. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. The God of the Bible walks us through the valleys. Often will not take us away from the valley, but he will never abandon us to the valley. This is the answer of the shack. It's the answer that the Bible gives that no matter what we face, God is with us. The final answer that the Bible gives, and also the answer that uh, the author puts into the mouth of the uh, God of, the, of uh, the shack, the same answer, is that God's answer to suffering is hope. Throughout the book, God repeatedly points to the future. For example, he says to Mackenzie, if you could only see how all these events and what we'll achieve without the violation of one human will, then you'll understand and one day you will. You see, we have this life, my friends, to learn that there's more to life than this life. We have this life to learn. Please hear me today that we have, there is more to this life than this life. 
the pain, the disappointment, the frustration, the vanity, the frustration of it all is to point us to the fact there's a better place and that we are not meant to be here. So the psalmist says in uh, Psalm number 30, verses 10 to 12, it says, Hear me, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. It always sounds so prophetic, so poetic when you say it like that. But this is actually more like this. Help, God. Help me. I've been in a place where the only thing I could pray is, God, help me. You know, we, we, we gloss over it. But this is what the psalmist is saying. Hear me, God. I'm in one of those places. One of those lonely, dark, stuck places of pain and frustration. And he cries out, God, help me. And then there's just a little full stop. And this little sentence, and you have turned my mourning into dancing. I want to tell you that's true, but sometimes getting to the other sentence that you, means you have to let go and let God. It means you've actually got to embrace the pain and let the gain occur. It means that you've got to not surrender to fatalism and negativity, but to trust in your God. And when you do that, He has a way of taking tears and turning into the dance of joy. You have turned my mourning into, into dancing. You see, friends, There is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no redemption without paying a cost. There is no victory without a battle. There's no healing without a disease. Essentially, Mackenzie in the book is given the same answer as the biblical character Job. Job lost it all in a day. His health, his wealth, lost it all in a single day. And he has this ongoing debate with God and his friends over it all. And he's seeking an answer. The answer he gets is not the answer that Job sought. And when we're faced with pain, when we're faced with the disaster, when we're faced with the disaster of the shack, we may not get the answer that we want, but God does give an answer. And the answer is, I am bigger, I am wiser, I am kinder, than what you can possibly imagine. And you just cannot understand it right now. But trust me, trust me, one day you will. And you will say, it's okay. He's wiser. He's very good. Our God is a good God, even when life is bad. And he asks us to trust him. Can we learn to trust God when we don't understand. Helen Roosevelt is uh, probably a, a modern living saint, uh, uh, missionary to the Congo for many years, and part of her story is that she was captured during the Mau Mau Rebellion. And she was held captive for five months, raped persistently, beaten, uh, brutalized in many ways, and she came out of that experience not bitter, not resentful, but actually almost like Something great came out of the whole crisis. And she's often asked him to speak to him, where is God when you go through this sort of suffering? Because she's been through that sort of experience. And she just tells a story of, you know, she was going through that terrible time and there she is, she's captured and she's now put in a situation where, Helen, if you promised to, the chief suddenly took a liking to her for some reason of this little tribal militia group 
says, if you'll marry me, I'll stop brutalizing all the fellow nurses and sisters here. So she was almost given the power to save everybody else at the cost of her own integrity, her own physical body. And she's wrestling with this. She says, I can't say yes to either. I can't, I can't do that. And in a, in a turmoil, she's asking God what's going on. She feels that the voice of the Lord just comes to her and says, Helen, you do not understand, but I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Will you trust me? that I can actually make something beautiful out of this. Will you trust me? It's a big question, isn't it? It's an incredible question. Because sometimes we will never understand on this side of eternity why God let things happen the way it did. But the ground of reality that God's trying to build, I'm saying something really big here, most of you unfortunately won't get it. So really try and listen right now. I'm almost done. What God is trying to build is love. And there can be no love where there is no freedom to love and freedom to reject. And so evil has come about as a response of a God taking the risk of love. And so every time you see evil occurring, it's because God is love. It's because he's love. He cannot restrict your free will and my free will because he loves us so much. We will talk on lo- lo- in another week a little bit more about this. C.S. Lewis writes this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Yeah? Anybody agree with that? You don't know that yet. Okay. To love at all is to be vulnerable. And if you want to make sure that uh, of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. My wife, poor girl, she loves animals. It's why she married me. But, you know, if the goldfish dies, you know, it's trauma in the home, it's tissue boxes and stuff because she loves animals. But, you know, if you don't want to be hurt, don't even love an animal. Wrap up your heart around your hobbies and your little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe in the dark, motionless and airless, your heart will still change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the danger of love is called hell. The Apostle Paul suggests that virtually everything will ultimately end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, everything will ultimately die. Everything will ultimately fail. Except for faith, hope, and charity. These three are eternal. Friends, the Shack's message is it's about faith. What do you believe in the face of tragedy? It's about love. Who and how do you love? And it's about hope. It's the hope that there is a better eternal day. In the um, story of the uh, Twin Towers and that trilogy that's just going on forever and ever, I think this might be an eternal movie series the way it's going. (laughs) There is a story as Fredo's getting close to the mountaintop where he's got to dispose of the ring. This ring is chosen by Tolkien as symbolic 
of the will to power, the will to understanding, the will to reign and to rule over everything else. The rule not to be in subjection but to be God. And uh, Frodo has been commissioned this task to take this ring and throw it into this great fire that will ultimately destroy the power of this ring. And he's been through a great deal. He has suffered on the road. He is hungering. He's not eaten for days. He's thirsty. He's been stabbed with a uh, sword. He's been attacked by a spider. He's been injected with a venom. He's not in good shape, and he's suffered. And he's just given up his last physical effort to crawl up the last few hundred meters to get to the top of this mountain to throw the ring into this fire. And his faithful companion is with him at the time and sees that he's got to the end of his own ability, got to the end uh, that Frodo's got to the end of his ability. And Sam says to Frodo, says, it's your task to carry this ring. That is your destiny. I cannot carry it for you. But what I can do is I can carry you. And with that, he picks up Frodo and he leads him up to the mountain where the rest of the movie takes place. In some ways, Tolkien has tremendous insight to the way that God handles our pain and our misery and our journey to the shack. That when we have given up, when we've actually got to the place, we're saying, I cannot go on. I don't know if you've been there, my friend, but I've been there a few times where I've been faced with things in my life where literally I can say, I cannot go on. I have found that if you let God at that time, he will come, he will lift, he will grace, and he will carry you those last few yards you to deal with what you're going to do. So I'm going to invite the uh, team up right now. We're going to close. And, and my intention not to keep you over your long seeing it so hot. But I do want to pray for you right now. Often uh, messages like this can open up very deep wounds, wounds, and it's not our desire today to open up those sorts of wounds in your life to allow you simply to bleed but we actually do want to see God come and begin a healing process in your life. And part of the message of the shack is that there's an invitation of God to meet you at the point of your pain. If it was possible to me, I'd like to give you an invitation from God that's got your name on it. Michael, we've not caught up for a while. Love to meet you this weekend at the shack. Sign, Daddy God. You know, that invitation is actually available to every human being on the face of the earth. Every human being has an open invitation. Come, let's talk about it. Come to the place of your darkest need. Come to the place of your darkest demon. Come to the place of your biggest pain. Come to that place. I will meet you there. But in the world, what we do is we want to reach for a bottle, we want to reach for a relationship, we want to reach for anything else rather than deal sometimes with the things that actually are holding us back. We have a pain in our life and we refuse to go and stand in the presence of the one who's the healer of all pain. We may not get our answers, but we will get our healing. 
God will make something beautiful out of the ashes that we give him if we'll let him. So what I'd like you to do right now is just to bow your heads. I'm going to ask the uh, team just to sing through this song, 10,000 Words. just want you to sit there, remain comfortable. I want you to talk to your God. Even if you don't know him very well, he's been talking there. My mum, she's 77 this year. Uh, two years ago, she gave up smoking after about 40 years of smoking. That was a pretty neat thing. And she tells me that what was happening, she was doing the gardening one day, and all of a sudden, God said to her, Are you ready yet, Kathy? She said, What? She said, Are you ready yet to stop smoking? And she said, Yeah. And with that, God took away the smoking instantly. But my mum, after about 40 years of smoking, isn't that fascinating? But I wonder how many times God had whispered, Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet, Kathy? Are you ready? Are you ready? I think it's wonderful. So thank you, Ben. Let's just sit there. And I want you just to think about your God. Think about maybe some of the tough areas. This is a personal moment. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to minister where you are. I'm going to get you to sing and pray a prayer. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. 